Hi, it's Ed Vetter from Seattle saying uh, hello and uh, uh, for this moment gives me the opportunity to reach out to some folks that we've been thinking about a lot for the last couple months. Um, uh, I mean, we've been thinking about the planet and our community, but also, you know, our, our, our smaller community of people that, you know, just a f couple months ago had tickets in hand and and like us we had big plans to get together and play new songs for you and, and play old songs for you and get together as as we should you like to do and um and play some shows and i've been thinking about you all because you know when this crisis hit it was all just taken away so quickly you know over the years some of us have built a relationship through music and and even the audience that we're lucky to have out there, they they have, um, within that audience, they have relationships together. You know, our, our, our crowd, they, they bond together. And, and I, I'm just knowing that uh, everybody's missing each other right now. And uh, I just want to tell you that we're missing you too. What the hell is that? Yes, my name is Brian. What would you say you do here? Stone on air. I'm so happy I could die. But wait a second, don't die, right? I'm so happy I could die right now. So happy. I'm so happy since you left me. I could die because I'm so yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast. Generally speaking, falling in the middle of the week, every week, and that is the goal going forward. Today is the 6th of May, a day following another day on the calendar, largely ignored or dismissed or just not really paid attention to. Because of the current state of affairs of the world we live in, I know some people still went out to the 50% capacity Mexican joints for Cinco de Mayo and plenty got to go take out for it. Um, many probably made tacos at the house and uh, margaritas and all that. I had taco night on Sunday because I just wasn't thinking about it and uh, decided not to go the taco route for Cinco de Mayo. It's just another one of those days I just generally don't pay attention to. You know, it's it the the quote unquote reasons to drink holidays. I just generally don't spend any amount of time on. Um, you don't need a reason to drink. <laughs> Every day of your life, if you like to partake in alcohol consumption or weed smoking or whatever it is that you like to get your head right or get get your uh, mind, body, and soul the place where you want it. Any day of your life is a perfectly good enough of an excuse if done uh, responsibly and um, and safely, then uh, have at it. So, uh, yeah, there you go. I, and I love tacos and margaritas. Uh, it doesn't have to be May 5th. I can have tacos and margaritas tomorrow. Uh, that would be actually, that sounds pretty good, actually. Maybe I'll do Cinco, what is it, uh, the 7th would be Siete? Siete of Cinco or Siete of Mayo. Is that, am I saying that right? Clearly, I am not. So the front end there, that's uh, Ed Ved, uh, posted a video to fans about several different things. But one little clip there that I played, obviously, was to the people like me that were not able to attend the spring tour, who had tickets, who counted down, who got in on the pre-sale and got in on the, um, what did they call it? Oh, I can't remember this new ticketing system where you had to get verified. Fan verification system. Really had to jump through a few hoops to be able to have the opportunity to purchase the tickets and then to have that ripped away from us. And it's so disappointing, and it was so nice to hear uh, Ed's words saying, uh, you know, he gets it. Like, it's not just a concert. It's a, it's a community within a community within a community. There are people, one in particular I can uh, think of right off the top of my head, that I am social media uh, contacts with, but there's more than just one. Maybe now, now a second one just pops in. These people that I've met through the Pearl Jam shows over the course of 20 years, and I would never see them again, never talk to them again, and never think of them again if it weren't for the next gathering at a Pearl Jam show 
And they this isn't like the jam band thing where fish and you know the dead after all those years and widespread panic, mo, you name it. Just their whole life is on the road. And that's a whole different experience that I cherish in, in so many different ways too. But that's that's different. This is this is a much more exclusive and premium kind of uh, gathering. These are people that only get to do this every now and again. And it is quite literally singing in a choir. It is uh, it is a church-like atmosphere. And so it's not just, oh, damn it, I don't get to go st- get drunk and watch a rock and roll show. Because that's how many, many shows I go to are. That's the main driving force. Hey, let's go get a buzz and have some fun and listen to some songs we recognize. That's... Those are two different things. And so hearing Ed uh, kind of speak directly to me, directly to us, made me feel uh, really good and want to throw it on the front end of the show. All right, let's see. Let's talk about today's show, shall we? All right, coming up in the final segment of the show, I have several clips from Andy Burke's State of the City Address from just the other day. Might be the most boring segment I've done in a while. Maybe not. I'm not entirely sure, but I thought that it uh, warranted a little bit of time. And coming up in the second segment of the show, I'm going to talk about the tornadoes that came through, the Easter Sunday tornadoes. And I mean, I I wasn't going to do a segment on it initially because what is there to talk about, right? I mean, we all know what happened. We all know the devastation. Many of us, some way more than others, know people directly affected by it. But I I took a drive through East Brainerd over this past weekend. And it brought a whole lot of different thoughts emotionally to me as I drove around for nearly two hours, listening to music, trying to stay out of the way. I know that's a little bit of an asshole move, but it's been three three weeks now, and I thought it was time for me to go take a look at an area that I grew up in for 15 to 20 years. So it's not like I'm just, hey, let's go uh, be a nuisance. I mean, these are roads I grew up on. These are areas I lived at forever. And... Um, it hit me in a whole different way. So I'll do that in the second segment of the show. And then I'm going to talk uh, COVID-19 sports and how we're going to bring all this back together here on the tail end of this open segment. First, let's jump around to a few things. My weekly uh, semi-now quarantine television programming update, the Hulu original Hands Made Tale. I am in the third season now, two episodes in, so it means I have 11 until I'm caught up, and then the fourth season is whenever it's going to be. Not sure I'll stick with this show till the end or not, but the show's not getting better, and it's not necessarily getting worse. It's just getting less intense, and really, quite frankly, it's getting less heartbreaking, meaning from an emotional episode-to-episode as a viewer standpoint. And what I've realized, and I've noticed this has happened to a lot of shows and and different kind of adaptations of books, is that this show is now off book. The, The end of season one is the end of the 1985 book. So everything since then has been... Uh, all showrunners and writers and all of that put together making their own storyline now. And it might just be psychological. It just might be in my head now realizing that, okay, this is no longer the book. This is just a random group of people continuing a story that is held up uh, in the uh, entertainment world anyway since 1985. And I've, I started to look at it because I noticed, wait a second, that's just not, the, the continuity is just not here. Like, that would have never happened early in the show. What's going on with these characters? What's up with this kind of hole in this story? Well, that's because idiot writers out thinking the room and having to put together, you know, 13 episodes. It's just they've kind of had to stretch a little bit. But if you've taken my recommendation and you are watching it, stick with it. It is worth your time, at least to this point. Anyway, let's see. Aerial America. I've been watching more and more of that, and I'm going to bring up that into the second segment of the show more I'll I'll speak to that but that's been a lot of fun from the Smithsonian's uh, channel and then of course the Michael Jordan doc The Last Dance it is starting to feel like it's maybe a few hours too long as we're now six hours through the 10-hour documentary which is not really a documentary it's just a entertainment uh, 10-hour look through the lens of Michael Jordan and his production company it's not going to get deep into his gambling issues. It's not going to go too far into why he was for real in the Southern League in 1994 and 5 playing baseball, which I have a lot of skepticism about. But overall, it is, uh, it's fun t- television because it's of an era that I cherish and a team and a player that I adored then and I still 
adore now. But it brings me the audio clip today that is going to be combined, uh, once again, the coolest thing and the worst idea. It's Jerry Seinfeld from The Last Dance. Real quick, 10-second clip, the combined worst idea and coolest thing on the Stone on Air podcast. Similarity between the Bulls and Seinfeld, the show of the 90s, the team of the 90s, and I'm trying to make quitting the move of the 90s. Let the new people in. And the reason that that's the coolest thing is because Seinfeld on the show was a little bit more than that, probably about a minute and a half more, and that was just a a real joy to see. And the uh, worst idea about it is, is two of the all-time greats quit in the same year. I mean, made a joke out of it, but Michael Jordan and Jerry Krause is the general manager and the players involved and coaches and everybody imploded and quit one of the greatest basketball teams in NBA history at virtually the same time. I guess it would be the fall probably is when the television show went off the air, Seinfeld. They quit when they were at the top of their game. They just stopped, and that was a bad idea unless you subscribe to the theory that going out on top is the best way to go, which I can't argue that it's not. I did have a piece here of about Live Nation. Can Live Nation survive COVID-19? And I have straight up misplaced it. I don't know what happened to it, and I never even really read it. I just thought it would make a good segment or at least a good few minutes, so I can't even paraphrase it. I don't know what the hell I did with it, so I'll find it eventually and maybe put that on a future podcast if it feels like it was worth it it likely probably wasn't all that good but uh, screw live nation except for they do bring all the great shows together right i mean they've monopolized everything they're you know they're worse than ticketmaster ever thought about being as they are now the parent company of ticketmaster but you know uh, i don't know so we'll do that one uh, another time but speaking of covid-19 the coronavirus Let's do that here for the rest of this opening segment before I get to the tornadoes and the state of the city from Andy Burke. I spent quite a bit of time last week talking about how I am uh, ready to open up. I am I'm not even that concerned with the rollouts as far as dates and the way that it goes from half capacity to full capacity to now this and now that. And the main reason why is because most of the plans that I've seen laid out by local, regional, and national um, leaders, politicians, seem to be very arbitrary. Uh, I was looking at something that said, okay, so on May 28th, now this happens. Well, I, my first question would be, why not May 22nd? I mean, <laughs> if you don't have a, a specific answer as to why May 28th, then why not May 22nd? And if why not May 22nd, why not tomorrow, May 7th? Like, I mean, I need to know why you're doing what you're doing. I talked about that a lot last week. So I'm not overly concerned about that. Small business, open it back up. If you're scared, you don't have to leave the house, right? The scared types, for good or or overreaction reasons, for legitimate or the just scared of their own shadow types, if 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 the if those people do not want to interact in public and in small business and in in areas of private business then don't okay simple simple solution don't but i do think that it's we live in a world where mass gatherings are not going to be a thing and i'm not going to argue against that you know, I'm not going to be, oh, this is so stupid and awful that Bonnaroo might not happen. Like, I don't try to sound like this is a hoax guy, but I am. Let's let's proceed with regular business guy. But we might have to shut down the major events for the rest of the year. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I'm almost completely on board and an advocate for that. I will talk more about that here in a minute first this piece from the where does it come from slate jeremy samuel frost and megan rainey wrote this piece it's totally opinion and it's completely uh, super left leaning but i just wanted to read a little bit to you here and then my thoughts on mass gatherings primarily in the settings of concerts and sporting events uh talks about how uh we have surpassed sixty thousand deaths from covid 19 
here recently with 1 million Americans infected. You may even believe that not a single one of your personal contacts has had the virus. How can this be? The answer is that we have reached a mathematical moment where such an incongruence between perception and reality is both entirely expected and exceedingly dangerous if poorly understood. Right now, the number of active cases is large enough to pose a substantial and catastrophic threat to public safety, and yet small enough that it does not feel that way at all to the average person. Says that currently the virus is known to infected around 1 in 329 Americans. Now, this, this piece starts putting out a lot of different statistics and numbers that I don't know where they come from, so I'm not going to read all of that to you. Uh, I will jump ahead and say it says, it would take more than a half a million deaths in the United States before, on average, every American personally knows a single person who died of the disease. And we cannot wait that long. And where they come with that, they say, sorry, I crumpled up the wrong piece of paper. It says... Uh, so one in th- 329 Americans are infected. It says that meanwhile, most people know 600 people. As of, tw- I don't know where that, that comes from. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I know 600 people. In tw- 2019, the average Facebook user had 338 friends. So they start taking all the numbers from one in th- 329, 1,060,000, you know this many people. And now what's it going to take for the chances that you ha- are affected closely and that's where i guess they come up with it's going to take a half a million deaths in the united states for the average person walking around to actually believe that this is something that they need to be concerned with that's their point anyway without an understanding of the math around the risk of exposure and without the perception that the crisis has truly hit home it's perfectly understandable that people are tired of sheltering in place and want to reopen their economies continues to go on talking about the chances of spreading it within a 100-patron restaurant. It goes on to a lengthy discussion about the uh, MARTA mass transit in Atlanta, how many people come and go from that, the capacity numbers times this divided by that. It's a bunch of minutia here. I'm not going to bore you with reading it. You can find data to, to back up any argument that you're trying to make. There's always a statistic that will support Whatever point you're trying to make, I'll wrap this thing up here now. It says, these are three strategies that can help the greater good of all us dumb assholes walking around. First, Americans must understand that they and their families are still at risk. We are notoriously bad at interpreting statistical data. Numbers must be accompanied by human interest stories of people, quote unquote, just like us, who have been affected. Otherwise, Americans will believe incorrectly that we are immune or remote to the realities of this disease. Second, we must believe that our friends and neighbors expect us to act safely. Friends don't let friends drive drunk, and friends don't let friends go to large gatherings without masks either. And finally, our messaging must be delivered consistently and by someone we trust. If we are to adequately communicate risk and encourage safe behavior, we need influencers from public officials to media personalities on board. So there you go. Take that and do whatever you want with it. So as far as the mass gatherings are concerned, until there's a vaccine and until the uh, CDC can give guidelines saying it's okay to have 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 plus thousand people in one spot, we're just not going to be able to do that anymore. And I am completely on board with saying that's it for 2020 from a, a big event kind of aspect. The concerts, they're done. The tours aren't happening. The Major League Baseball stadium's full of people and getting ready for a big October throughout the summer and a pennant race, done. NFL and uh, full stadiums and a 16-game slate, probably not happening. College football, I don't even know if the kids are going to be on campus. And a lot of things can change between now and the end of the summer. I'm fine with shutting it all down. It's going to badly disrupt 2021 as far as scheduling and the just from every aspect. And I, I get taken a year off in any industry could potentially bury certain industries. But, I mean, look at small business around here. You know how many restaurants are not going to open back up? You know how many small businesses are completely effed because of this, you know, two or three month issue we have right now? Shit happens, man. Uh, it, just enough already. 
there's enough money at the top that you can figure out a way to 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 take this year off and p- prepare and plan for next season. And when it comes to the sporting events, because I know some of my sports friends are like, "No, I, I can't make it all. I got to have my sports." I don't I don't think you're going to completely understand how boring and just completely uninspiring sports are being played as just like a pickup game, like a sandlot ball game, or you know, guys just playing ball on a court in an empty building. That's not what's what makes sports great. The fanaticism, right? Is that, is that that's a word? The fanatical nature of the the fan base is what creates those incredible moments. That's what makes the Last Dance documentary twenty five whatever it is year twenty some odd years later so amazing. It was because of the the fanatical nature of it. And I don't want to watch baseball on a Sunday night between the Angels and the Rangers on just some some lot, some plot of grass and, and dirt. Like, that's not what this is. And a lot of the chatter is, well, there's still so much TV money there, and I, I'm sure that's true, but what about the gates? What about the, the uh, concessions? What about the parking? What about everything that goes along with this? They're going to be taking a bath, the owners, and so many different people involved with all these large events outside of just sports. I mean, it, it, it's not just about playing inside the chalk of the lines in a baseball diamond. It's just so much more than that. And what's what joy is it in playing a season of, of a sport like baseball that I, I cherish so much that plays in realignments in different stadiums and no one's allowed in, and then, oh, at the end you have a round robin and someone wins the championship? Boo, yeah, wow, I'm so excited. Wow, thanks for fixing 2020. Same deal in football. Hey, oh, yeah, we might let 5,000 people in. Well, what about the assholes like me that spend over two grand a year on, on my season tickets? And how does that work? Just, I don't, I don't even want any of it. I, I, want, I want a semblance of what I know of these leagues, or I don't want it at all. Now, if the Masters want to play in November, fine. You don't have any interest from me, but fine. If NASCAR wants to race without any fans, fine. Never cared about a soul in the stand of any of that to begin with. The Kentucky Derby should have run. Who cares who's in the stands there? But these season-long commitments, emotional commitments from the fan bases and the way that the, the, the pageantry is, the theatrical nature that is a sporting event in the fall on Sundays or Saturdays or a nightly television show, a television program that is a Major League Baseball season. It's just not, it's not about just some guys playing a game on the television. It's just so much more important and deeper than that. And I'm running super late on this segment, as always. But And if you want to talk about the big tours, the big arena shows, and the festivals, well, those happen every year. And they're never set at exact times except for the festivals as far as, you know, the touring bands go. that's gonna Life's going to go on there. That's going to come back. I'm going to go to a Pearl Jam show again someday. I'm going to go to a festival again someday. And I will have another full-length baseball season again someday. And I don't think it needs to be this year. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't care at all if you just said NFL, done, college football, we're not going to do that either. You know, NBA, there's no champion this year. NHL, there's no Stanley Cup. And, uh, I mean, hell, I'm looking at my wrist as if there's a watch indicating that the time is flying by in 2020. And it'll be six months in when you snap your fingers and wake up in like a week. So I, do I... Do I really want there to be no sports all year long? No, of course I don't want that. But I got zero interest in watching a bunch of dudes in an empty building throwing the basketball around. No interest whatsoever in watching a bunch of guys on an on a big field in a big cavernous, massive, empty football stadium slinging a football around. I just really don't. And I think most people will realize how just empty and soulless and uninspired that kind of product would be if it became reality. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Coming up next, the tornadoes came through on Easter Sunday, shredding and devastating an area of town that I spent a majority of my youth and adolescence and into my 20s. And this past Sunday, I felt like enough time had passed that I could take a ride through all these areas that I grew up in, and I witnessed it for myself. 
What was my perception? How was my vantage point? I will get to that coming up next. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. The National Weather Service confirms an EF3 tornado with 145 mile per hour winds touched down in East Chattanooga. State leaders confirm three people died in the storms, two in Hamilton County and a third person in Marion County. Leaders also report a number of injuries. The Tennessee Emergency Management Agency is helping with search and rescue missions and damage assessment. For many, dealing with this devastation on top of the pandemic is unthinkable. Clouds started forming, 5 o'clock p.m. The funnel clouds touched down five miles north of Russellville. The sirens were blowing, clouds spat rain. And as the thing came through, I swear, it sounded like a train from one of my favorite, most influential albums, records that I featured on last week's show. It's Tornadoes from Drive-By Truckers. And I hope, I pray to anything that has any significance in the world that uh, I never have to experience the sounded like a train part because it doesn't matter. Where in the country, what person is on that camera or with a microphone or being quoted in a, in a, in a newspaper article or any kind of archived situation, they all, they all say the same thing. It sounded like a train because I, I believe it and I, and I, I can feel it. I can hear it. I, it, it's, it's. Terrifying, terrifying, and uh, I've you know been within uh, what ten miles, I guess, a couple of times of of tornadoes that devastatingly destroyed areas and killed people, and so I've never. Uh, that's a long ways, right? That's not that's not close. I mean, it's too close for comfort, but it's. Not technically close, but there's now been, what, three or four now maybe going on almost five times where it's been get in the closet. Here we go. This is real. And um, and, and that Easter Sunday, that was all day. Anybody who laid down that evening or went to go watch TV and think nothing's going on here, I mean, just wasn't paying attention. And for some reason, we have this running joke that the meteorologists are just dumb and they always get it wrong. Well, the fact of the matter is actually most of the good ones, which most of them still standing and still have a job, are good ones. They predicted this, and most of the time, they're correct. And that was the reason for saving this audio clip that I'm going to play right now from Todd Taylor. He is a a United States disaster relief manager in a lot of different capacities, and I found him on this, this podcast out of Mississippi that I knew going in was a faith-based organization that uh, provides missionary, if you will, kind of relief and assistance. And I thought they were going to talk about the actual uh, on-the-ground cleanup, recovery, and it ended up that's not what it was at all. But I kept this one clip because of the point I just made about how the meteorologists are normally correct, even though that's not where he spends most of his time on it. But anyway, it's one minute long. Easter Sunday... This storm system moved across the southeast as predicted. The tornadoes did ramp up as the National Weather Service had been predicting. And uh, starting in Mississippi, a line of tornadoes developed. I'm here in Laurel, Mississippi, where the storm that went through was an EF4, a very strong, powerful storm, um, about a mile wide. And those paths of destruction not only affected here in Mississippi, but it also hit up in the Monroe, Louisiana area, and then it continued to move east uh, where it affected um, on a smaller scale, a little bit in Alabama, and then as it neared the Appalachians, it intensified and uh, affected around Chattanooga, Tennessee, was really hard hit, and then down through Georgia, and the storms re-intensified around South Carolina, and we're responding there as well in Seneca. So I guess my greater immediate point to this exact second 
exact minute, exact point of the show is pay attention to the meteorologist. They know what they are talking about, generally speaking. From the Chattanooga is where these numbers come from. Uh, 2,700 properties were damaged in East Brainerd and surrounding areas. 254 houses were completely destroyed and 259 with major damage, whatever exactly that means. Public Works, as of Monday night, had hauled away 879 loads of vegetative and construction debris to the landfill. It added up to 3,890 tons. So remember, kids, if we go back to elementary school, a ton is 2,000 pounds, which means, and I had to do a double take here, the amount of vegetative and construction debris that went to the landfill as of just Monday night, which was just three weeks since the tornadoes came through, that is 7,780,000 pounds of debris. And without having the exact number in front of me, but the last that I had heard, only in one handful can you count the amount of deaths here locally, which is quite miraculous. I was talking to my dad who lives right off of Gumber, uh, excuse me, right off of Stanford Gap Road, just like my mother lives right off of Stanford Gap Road, just like so many other people I know over all these years. And he said that uh, he had been out of town that weekend, luckily, and they had no major damage at, uh, in I think most of his neighborhood. And he said, if you told me that only 50 people died, I would have thought, oh, whew, all right. At least it's only 50, you know? Lord, wow. We're talking like three or four. It is, uh, it is, it is remarkable. And certainly three is too many, but wow, it could have been so, so much worse. Let's see a little bit more from this. It uh, says 22 traffic signals had to be replaced, depleting the uh, signals in the current supply. There were 300 city signs. Damaged and 33 fire hydrants. The city has applied for federal disaster assistance and is awaiting a disaster declaration. And um, I guess in the where we're at right now, where the entire country is kind of in a disaster area, I don't know. Does uh, does that fall at the bottom of the stack in the uh, Oval Office, regardless of who the president is? Does a a, a in relative speaking, a small little area hit by a tornado here in Tennessee, does that really get paid attention to in um, in the federal disaster relief wing of the uh, of the government? That's a I mean I'm, that's a question I'm asking out loud. I don't I don't know, but uh, certainly seems like it should qualify. So now to get more anecdotal about the situation on the uh, way out the door here on this shortened segment on the Stone on Air podcast. So I grew up in Collegedale, Ottawa, Appison, East Brainerd. Finally got away from there pretty much completely around 2006. Moved downtown for a little bit. Then, uh, well, first to Fort O to my dad's joint, and that didn't work out real well. Then to downtown with a rental with a friend, you know, just a bachelor pad. It was awful. And then uh, purchased the house I live in now in 2006. Seven have been here ever since and only go to East Brainerd if I have to, but I know the area very, very well. And I have a lot of really fond memories and I have a lot of, you know, nightmarish scenarios too, whereas get me the F away from suburban East Brainerd, certainly Ottawa and uh, other areas. But there is always going to be a certain level of charm and romanticizing of the past and even revisionist history that makes you love or even at times hate an area that you came from. And this past Sunday, I had just about had all I can take of sitting around the house and doing work in the yard and watching TV. Like, I am not hating life in quarantine, now semi-quarantine. Certainly I'm not. But it was one of those, hey, it's nice out, and I'm going to go take, I'm going to go take a spin I'm not even exactly sure where I'm going to go yet, but I'm going to at least run out to East Brander for a few minutes and take a look with my own eyes. Because just like the show uh, Aerial America that I've been talking about from the Smithsonian Channel, it kind of gives me a different view of America that I had never 
I'd never really known because I, it's, you, there's only so much you can read in a textbook and there's only so much you can see from a picture in a book and from just television shows and, and whatever you're using as an educational tool. Seeing from above, seeing the landscape is fascinating. And this is kind of the reversal of that. I had seen an aerial drone fly over Stanford Gap, Igu Gap, a lot of those areas over in East Brainerd. And it, yeah, I mean, it looked awful. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Oh, geez, holy. But I didn't really know what I'm looking at because, first of all, the destruction made it unrecognizable. But even more than that, it's still just, you know, it's this flyover. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but, man, that sucks. And my dad even told me when we talked, he said, you got to see it with your own eyes to completely digest what's happened out here. And you don't want to be the asshole that shows up within the first week, or certainly not the first few days, and maybe not even after a couple of weeks. And I'm not sure what the timeline would make this acceptable. And I'm sure there's still some people that would say, you're still an asshole for doing it the other day. But it was the third week, and it was nice out. And I just said, I'm taking a spin. And I was out on the road for two hours from the time I left my house Till the time I came home, and this is a 10-minute drive to my mom, well, 15 minutes to my mom's in um, Shadow Ridge off of Stanford Gap. And I just started snaking through all the roads that I've gone down my whole life, starting in Stanford Gap, then uh, uh, Banks Road over to uh, to Igu Gap, to Morris Hill Road, uh, eventually wound all the way up around on Appleton Pike, Greenwood, I think it's Greenwood, or maybe it's Eastwood, I can't remember which road that is, that does eventually connect over to Bill Reed Road. And uh, that's where a friend of mine lived, where he spent a lot of time. And then all the roads that cut through that I forget half their names. And it does appear Igu Gap got the worst of, of, of most of it. But it was heartbreaking. It was so, it was so difficult to look at. And then also to fall back and just think it was only a couple of three or so people that died out of all of this. Holy, you know, wow. Holy bleep. And I went and looked at all of, uh, well, not all, I mean, there's not that many. It's three houses that we lived in. I made it out to College Dale off of Appleton Pike to see the house there. It had, it didn't look, it wasn't tornado damage, but it was high wind and uh, a bunch of decks were torn off of the back of that house. The house that my mom still lives in now was fine. And then the house in Yorktown Estates uh, seemed to be fine as well. But just right around the corner, places were destroyed. Autumn Chase, which is right down from the Mapco, down from Bill Reed Road on Stanford Gap, where my best friend growing up lived, and I stayed at his house. If, if I wasn't at his house, he was at mine. And his entire neighborhood is gone. I could not remember which house was his. The one we spent... You know, a decade in, I couldn't remember which one it was because of of the unrecognizable nature of the damage. It is unreal, and these tornadoes happen all across the country all the time, all the time, right? And they even happen around here with some regularity these days, whether it be in Ringgold or down in Alabama. And you hear about it, and you see it, and you might drive through the interstate and see some trees taken down. I'm like, man, that's crazy. But you stop thinking about it. It's not emotional there. It's not, you know, five minutes later, something shiny goes by and you forget about it. And this really, really uh, was pretty wild to see. And while I'm not proud of this, I did want to go down Bill Reed Road because I hadn't been there in a long time. It is kind of the uh, downtrodden area uh, of East Brainerd in the Stanford Gap area. And our school bus used to go through Bill Reed Road. And, and I'm not... Not proud of this at all, but you know how cruel kids are. There's a lot of trailer parks through there. And when the kids would get dropped off on the bus, I'm sh- I'd like to think I didn't contribute, but I'm sure I did with, you know, making fun of kids, making fun of people. Maybe they were our friends barely or not our friends at all who were off to their to the trailer uh, houses and, um, and, and the parks. And it's just so cruel and uh, not cool, but it's, you know, that's, it's, it's a fact of the matter. And I wondered, is Bill Reed Road still that area? And I drove through there, and it pretty much is. Uh, it's, some nicer areas have been built up, a little, and if you want to call it gentrification, potential uh, might be there. But overall, still a ton of trailers. Uh, what would appear to still be plenty of rentals, and 
just uh you know just kind of the the downtrodden area of east brainerd and it got hit it got hit and there was such a mess there and there wasn't a ton of recovery going on there that was just you know that was just people just split got out of there and the wildest thing that was so much like a walking dead episode television show or some kind of you know it's surreal kind of thing spray paint on the outside of the of the the houses or the trailers there pl- plenty of houses too that would be like you know accounted for three or you know we'll be back or we're we will survive or um, four with a circle over which I I think meant it, it seemed like it meant that the four people in here have been have been accounted for as safe it was yeah it, it was it was tough it was tough to drive around and look at because it was areas I was so damn familiar with Holly Hills just gone a pile of splinters. I know so many people that spent their life, their entire childhood in Holly Hills. And occasionally I was over at the pool there too, but that was more my younger brothers and other friends of mine. Holly Hills was just like, that's where you go to hang out for the, especially in the middle class areas, the ones that couldn't afford Mountain Shadows. It's gone. See ya. Out of here. I know several people that still live in that neighborhood and lost everything. Luckily, I know of nobody who lost their life. It was just a few days ago I was talking to a guy that I work with who lives in uh, in East Brainerd and has for you know, probably the last seven, eight, maybe upwards of ten years. He was telling me about the crews that were coming in for the relief, for the recovery from the, uh, whether there be missionaries or other kind of uh, support groups and relief and recovery groups or just straight up from the insurance companies. And he was saying how amazing and how well-oiled of a machine that these organizations were. I mean, they came in, there was roofs up the next day in certain cases. And there was one thing in particular he told me uh, from his anecdotal standpoint was that uh, he had talked to several people in his neighborhood because his his house was fine, but you know, right over there was complete destruction. And these, uh, whoever it was, I'm not sure, This, but one of the companies, one of the, the relief efforts comes in and they bring a shitload of, generators and they go to anybody who's without power and they let them you know borrow quote unquote a generator basically give them a generator to use until they get their power back now i don't know if every single person i don't know what the qualifications are but there were a lot of them and once the power was restored this company whether it was the insurance or whoever comes back and says hey we need to pick up this generator or you can buy it at a reduced price at what was a very fair price and i just i thought that is such a genius brilliant move from these from these these organizations these companies such a great way to profit but by while also being of 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 enormous relief because who who of us doesn't want a generator right at no point is there any of us listening to this i would guess or most people i know and says you know what I don't really think I want a generator. I don't I don't see a lot of benefit in owning a generator. I can come up with 10,000 reasons why having a generator would be incredible. And not only have you helped these people, you're very likely going to sell them a product that they actually want where you can you can profit off it as well. So it's not taking advantage of the downtrodden. It's helping them in more than one way. And if you don't want the thing, can't afford it, you hand it right back over. I thought that was a really, really cool story, and I'd have to go fact-check everything to find out exactly who qualifies for that and how many they are. But uh, I thought that was really, really neat. And I guess that's as much as I will put into that segment right now as, once again, pushing 20 minutes. Here we go again. Coming up next, the State of the City address by our asshole mayor, Andy Burke was just a couple of days ago, and I captured several clips from it. I'll play some of that back for you as we wrap up the show in the third and final segment. This is the Stone On Air Podcast. My name is Brian Stone, and I will be right back. Now back to more Stone On Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com For three decades, Chattanooga's mayors have come to you each year to report on the state of our city a tradition that has become one of our community's most important civic gatherings. Hundreds of people who care deeply about our great city attend every year. We celebrate our past, 
we take stock of our present, and we look forward to our future. I've attended many of those events, and for the past seven years, I've had the tremendous honor to deliver this address to you. I've given it because it's important, and I've given it because it's true. Chattanooga has made progress like no other mid-sized city in the country these past seven years, and the world has noticed. Well, maybe not the city of dreams, but it is a pretty cool city. Of course, this song is not actually glorifying the city that it's talking about, but that's how good songs generally go. Born in the USA, rocking in the free world, city of dreams. And I wanted to use the panic version of this, but I just wanted a nice, good, clean studio version. And I'm not a huge Talking Heads fan, but this is a great, great, great song that I would not know of if it were not for Widespread Panic. Maybe I will play it on the way out. I do not like Andy Burke. I never have. Uh, there's something about him in ways that are not fair for me to judge him that I won't spend any amount of time on. Uh, he's just a big dork is uh, also part of it. There's too much conflict of interest between his family and uh, dir- different kind of, you know, you could call it slumlording in some situations, landlording in others. And, uh, I mean, the guy's cheating on his wife with, you know, you know that whole story. That was real. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind the making out with his uh, chief of staff who was getting paid way too much money just to be his little side hustle behind the Lost Moss or whatever it is and all that stuff from back in 2016, which I won't rehash all that right now. And just his lack of transparency difficulty to the media he's never been uh, easily accessible in any form or fashion unless it was it was discussed in advance and agreed upon that certain things would not be ta- touched and would not be talked about and that's what makes uh, makes Brian Joyce such a shill and a and a, just a fraud he fits right in over at talk radio as he used to have the mayor on and it was just done so piss poor and nothing of any substance was ever actually discussed. But in the end, he is a Democrat. And so I guess ideologically, there's a lot of ways that I probably line up with him. But uh, just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean that I like you. And I think that's part of the reason why he's been taking this hard stance. It kind of goes against what the uh, the mayor, Bill Lee, which is a Republican, who I, I like so far, I got no reason to dislike Bill Lee, just as, as much as I didn't dislike uh, uh, Haslam at all uh, either, except for the shadiness of the of the pilot Jay and all that stuff going on there. But that's, you know, that's a long ways in the past of a, of a, a subject matter I don't care all that about uh, much about. But the good news is, is that this is his final term. He will not be running again in March of next year. The election for the um, mayoral position here in Chattanooga is not at the same time as the general election in November. Seems like it's almost done by design because Chattanooga tends to, the city, the powers tend to kind of anoint who their next mayor is, at least from my vantage point of being an adult. It was the, uh, John Kenzie, when I was old enough to remember what a mayor is, then Bob Corker, then Ron Littlefield, who was on the city council for 100 years, and then Andy Burke has taken over from him. And it seems like each time those four were just in line to take over that position. The only time uh, there was a, a mayoral race that I quote-unquote covered it was when I was first working for Chattanooga State, 91.5, and one of my assignments was to go to the forums, I guess. It wasn't a debate. The mayoral forum at the little theater at Chattanooga State, get audio, cut it up, and make a news report about it the next day. It was uh, it was Littlefield, it was Ann Coulter, and it was, oh, what was the other guy's name? He ended up going to work for somebody. Damn it. Real simple name, like Larry Johnson or something like that. I can't remember his name. Anyway, and... So outside of that run, that mayoral race, I don't really have a lot of uh, vivid memories of the other ones, but it just does kind of seem like whoever the power structure decides they want to be mayor next, that's who gets it. 
And I think that's what I mean by the strategic nature of putting the election in some random time frame like March when most people aren't going to vote anyway. I don't live in the city of Chattanooga and basically never have, so uh, I don't have any vote in the matter. So it looks like there's talk of Weston Womp might be in the running. Tim Kelly, I wish would run. I would vote for him. I would advocate very strongly for him, do anything that uh, I could to help that campaign. I don't know if that's something he wants to get involved in. And the only one I know for sure, the person who has uh, already declared that they are running is Monty Brule, who I have met before and uh, I hold in very high regard the little that I know about. So looking forward to, well, I'm looking forward to 2021 period because 2020 sucks. So let's get some uh, clips from the State of the City that was done virtually the other day. We'll just uh, get it started with Andy Burke talking about, of course, well, just how great we are. Of course, a lot of us have been talking about how great this city is for a long time. Chattanooga has made progress like no other mid-sized city in the country these past seven years. And the world has noticed. One of the best small cities in America. One of the best cities in America to start a business. One of the best cities to visit in America. One of the top places to live in America. Just two months ago, Forbes magazine wrote that Chattanooga would be the number one place for new jobs in 2020. All things true then and now. When I say the state of our city is strong, I say it because I know it's a fact. I grew up here and I have spent my entire adult life here. There has never been a better time to live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And for every Forbes talking about how amazing it is to live here, there's some other study talking about affordable housing, uh, how far a dollar stretches, uh, a number of different really damning statistics that say the city of Chattanooga isn't nearly as great as we all think it is just another one of those examples of you can find data to back up whatever argument you are trying to make. Of course, COVID-19 is on everybody's mind. The COVID-19 epidemic plaguing our nation with a million infections has not missed Chattanooga. 195 Tennesseans here with us just two months ago are now dead. 13 of those lived in our county. Many more are in our hospitals now. And while I applaud the Hamilton County Health Department and their partners for expanding testing, we still have not yet tested even 2% of Tennesseans. I'd still really like to see the numbers of the ages and the conditions of the people who have passed in the state or in the country for that matter, and uh, to break it down from those kinds of uh, angles, which is kind of an asshole thing to say, when somebody has lost their life. This is true politician stuff. Andy does it well, as do many good politicians. It's kind of a certain psychology here. You tell everybody that they already agree with you. We've paused large gatherings, like the type we've traditionally had for this speech, in part because I've ordered them to stop under the emergency powers of this office, but mostly because Chattanoogans knew we should. No one in this city has been cited for violating any order of this office or that of the governor. Chattanoogans know what is right. You always have. So basically, here's what I decided to do, and you already agreed with it, and you already knew to do it. It's just it's just a little tricky wording, and no, nobody was cited for anything because it was all just a bunch of guidelines. It wasn't laws, and there's people out doing things and going against what some of those guidelines were all over the place, and it was fine. It didn't matter. Wasn't uh, it wasn't that big of a deal? Here he is talking about uh, different viewpoints from different leaders, from him to the governor to the president of the United States. Yet the question of what is right seems more debated than ever. You hear one thing from Governor Lee, another from me. On the nightly briefings, the president and his advisors contradict each other from minute to minute. In the balance hangs our city and the 180,000 people who call it home. Both our health and our pocketbooks depend on what happens next. Chattanoogans are watching the news, trying to make sense of it, worried that touching a door handle could lead to an infection, but also knowing that keeping a small business closed will cause tremendous financial hardship. So we sit in our homes, 
trying to figure out what comes next. And we all know about the two trillion or umpteen billion and cannibal jillion, whatever it is, uh, stimulus package that was rolled out over the last three to four weeks or so, basically giving us all twelve hundred bucks, depending on what your situation is. But what has Burke been trying to do here locally to help uh, local businesses? At the beginning of this crisis, City Council and I set aside $2.5 million to help local small businesses get through the economic stoppage. Within 24 hours, more than 100 businesses applied, and still more was needed. This week, our Economic and Community Development Department found an innovative way to repurpose $600,000 and make it available to Chattanoogans who are living on the edge and cannot pay their rent. City Council immediately authorized it, as every member is hearing from constituents desperate for aid. And only three cuts left to go here. At one point in a state of the union or a state of the city or a state of anything, well, you got to start bragging on yourself, right? First, we need to get Chattanooga in front of a crowd. Our city has the fastest, cheapest, most pervasive internet in the world. A municipally owned 10 gigabit network that goes to every home and every business in a 600 square mile area. It has been powering our economy for a decade. Today, in the era of physical distancing, we use it to teach our kids, work from home, communicate with our doctors. It is vitally important now more than ever. And I didn't mention this before, I forgot. Uh, as I was putting together this audio and cutting it up, it was about a 30-minute speech that I've you know boiled down to about six or seven minutes here. The GD power went out. And luckily, I had most everything saved. That little mini storm that came through on, what was that, Monday night, May the 4th be with you day, I guess. And it blew out some audio I already had going. And I said, you know what? I'm done with this. So I, there was, that was going somewhere else that I originally was putting together. And I changed my mind. And I wasn't going to come back to it. Two more clips. Uh, the final here, it goes from Burke 6 to Burke 9, as far as how I labeled them. Uh, he does acknowledge that he's been taking some criticism for the way that he's handling, um, well, maybe everything at some point, but certainly more specifically, the coronavirus. We are all building this airplane as we fly it. That means taking extraordinary action for these extraordinary circumstances. And for that, this office has come under some criticism. Well, that's well and good, but I tell you this, no mayor of any city, and certainly no mayor of this city, should ever apologize for doing what is right by the people of his city. I welcome everyone, elected or otherwise, Republican or Democrat, who wants to help bind up our wounds. But I will not wait, I will not equivocate, and I will not stop fighting for the people of Chattanooga. The office of the mayor exists to protect the health and safety of our city. And the only way I know to discharge my duties faithfully is to put the health and safety of our citizens first. I've done so to the best of my abilities, and I will do so without reservation for as long as our charter grants me that sacred obligation. It's so frustrating listening to uh, audio clips of people calling a tornado a tornado. The tornadoes, as frustrating as it is to listen to a highly intelligent, educated man called the mayor office, Maya, the Maya office. Final clip from Andy Burke and his state of the city. But embracing one another right now means keeping our physical distance and putting health first. That is what is best for Chattanoogans is also what is best for business. Workers must feel confident that going back to their jobs will not threaten theirs or their family's health. Consumers will only return to restaurants, shops, and other establishments if they know it is safe to do so. I know many of us feel like the doors may remain locked forever. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's all I got. Might be uh, one of the more boring segments I've done in a while, but I thought it was at least uh, worth doing because... I mean, let's just be honest. Who actually listens to, watches, or pays attention to the state of the city 
address. I know, generally speaking, I haven't in the past. Occasionally I have, but but not very often. So uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you there. I am done. I am way over uh, budgeted time I gave myself once again. I do it damn near every single week. Did not get the new uh, podcast out there yet because of, uh, I don't know, life, 2020, COVID, quarantine, shit sucks, (laughs) shit happens. But uh, that will be coming into the future, and I am done for now. We'll talk to you again on May 13th, and uh, have a great week, all right? See you. Bye.